Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Syscast, the show where we talk Linux, open source, web development and yeah, especially for today, BSD. Um, I don't know anything about BSD, so I am joined by someone much more knowledgeable than me. Um, his name is Jan-Piet Mens, or JP for short. So uh, hi JP, how are you? Good morning, Matthias. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very well, thank you. Got a bit of a cough. I don't think it's Corona, but anyway, we are separated by very many kilometers and uh, cables, so uh, you shouldn't worry too much. <laughs> All right. Fingers crossed that we survive the end of this episode. <laughs> um, there's a 14-day incubation period, so I don't think we'll be talking for 14 days. No, I hope not. I hope not, because my cough. I only have one cup of coffee here, so uh, we need to hurry this up. Ah, good. But then we can take breaks because I also have just one cup of coffee. Um, we'll see if we need it to stay awake or not. Uh, so the the reason I wanted to have you on, um, I've been following you on Twitter for quite a while and have noticed that, um, especially over the last few months, perhaps even years, um, you've been doing more and more on the BSD end, um, whereas I think you originally started perhaps with a Linux background. Um, so I'd like to pick your brain about all of the things about BSD that I do not know. Um, for starters, if, if my history of you is correct, you started at Linux and you've um, been doing more and more BSD work. Why? Why that transition? Well, uh, actually, to be quite uh, precise, I, uh, I certainly did not start with Linux. I started my, let's call it Unix career. I've been going back in the calendar uh, in order to prepare for this talk um, or for this uh, podcast. I've started with my Unix career. It must have been 1986. Um, and I started actually with Unix System 5 Release 4, the AT&T side of things, uh, but simultaneously also with BSD. And I can't remember the version. It must have been BSD 4.2 or 4.3, uh, which was running on a pyramid computer um, which at the time was being uh, not produced but sold by a company called Nixoft Computer, a German firm, which uh, then f unfortunately folded. Um, and we did uh, we did a lot of things Unix. So on the one hand, we had the BSD systems, and on the other hand, we had the Unix System 5 uh, systems. And uh, 1983 must have been also approximately 1988, rather, must have been the time when FreeBSD also started. And only then uh, did Linux show up on the uh, timeline, uh, 1990, I think, 1991 approximately. So my history, my Unix history dates back to basically System 5 Release 4, um, followed by or in parallel SCO, uh, I'm sorry, Microsoft uh, Xenix. You, re you might remember that or you might, your listeners might know of it. Uh, yes, I said Microsoft Xenix, which was an implementation, a uh, Unix-like implementation on... Um, what was it, 16? I can't remember, 16, 32-bit uh, systems, I think even 16, um, which then later on, I believe, more or less transitioned into SCO Unix, which was also a System 5 uh, implementation of Unix. And only after that uh, did I um, actually start working with Linux Slackware, or I can't remember the version, Slackware 0, 0.0 or something like that, um, and this must have been, as I say, somewhere around 92, approximately. So my, my, my Unix predates Linux. 
I am now intimidated by you. Your first Unix experience in '86. Um, I wasn't even born then. <laughs> oh yeah, well, I'm 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 what I call an old fart. Uh, I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm over 55, so I'm uh, uh, probably older than at least uh, a very large majority of your listeners. That's good. Then you can share all of your uh, gathered knowledge and experience and teach us young folks how to do things properly. <laughs> don't, don't worry, I've forgotten most of it. So that's the problem with, uh, with Alzheimer's. Uh, perhaps funny anecdote, but I, most of the things I ever wrote about on my blog, I forget about the next day because, well, I've written about it, so there's no need to remember it anymore. Uh, I, I think you're an active blogger. Maybe you have the same. You just write it down and then there's a mental capacity to just forget about it. Yes, you can always absolutely. look it back up. And I feel exceedingly foolish when I then use an internet search engine uh, to go and search for the topic and stumble over my own words. That's then the epitome of, of forgetting. Well, if those words eventually helped you, I think you've achieved your mission. So <laughs> all good. Uh, okay, so your history goes like way back. Um, maybe we can take a bit of a segue. If, if you look at, um, you mentioned Unix 5 almost 30 years ago, um, if you were to throw in a, say, modern Debian next to it today, can you still compare those? Are like the the basics or the fundamentals of Unix or Linux still the same, or is it uncomparable? Oh, yes, absolutely. All Everything that is what we today would probably call user land, everything that we, that we see on the side of the utility, so let's say the shell, the command line tools, etc., that is... Uh, that is completely recognizable and you would have zero trouble, and I literally mean zero trouble, finding your way around. Um, a lot of a lot has changed. So, for example, on the Unix side, we have today all the, all the GNU utilities, which have added uh, a boatload of, uh, well, uh, frequently added a boatload of options or a boatload of features to the individual utilities. So, for example, if you look at a tool called Grep or Set or... Uh, you 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 might be missing an option or two or three or five even, um, but uh, you could certainly do all your work. I think without a, without a problem, you would find a VI editor. If you booted System Five Release Four today, you would find, or even the old BSDs Four Point Three, you would find a VI a VI editor. It does not. Uh, have the capabilities of a Vim editor, which you might use today, or um, but but you you could you could you could wield it, you could manage it, and you would find a C compiler on these systems, and you would find all the text utilities. You would find NROF and TROF, and and uh, you would uh, you would of course not find a Bash, but you would find uh, a, 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 a Born shell. You would I think even find a Corn shell. Can't remember. Um, so you would. Uh, have no no problem whatsoever that's cool i think that speaks to the power of um the the, the philosophy behind unix or linux about keeping things simple um powerful but simple small contained binaries over large complicated binaries um i i think i would struggle on a unix 5 system today but it's good to know that if in the end it's it, it has evolved but it hasn't really um changed all that much so that that, that's nice to hear. 
Yes, the basics uh, have remained the same. All sorts of changes have occurred, of course. File systems have improved, have become faster. We have uh, uh, snapshotting file systems. We have today on the Linux side, we have things like ButterFS. On, uh, uh, on, on the FreeBSD side, we have things like ZFS, for example, or if you're American, it's probably called ZFS. Um, and so a lot, a lot has improved or a lot has matured but the basics are also there. That's cool. So you, you were there in the very early days of Unix, Linux, and BSD. Um, so you've seen them all, both of, of I'll, I'll talk about Linux and BSD as both, um, as a separate camps, so to say. You've seen them both grow up. More or less. I'm, I'm hesitating because I, I don't quite know how to, how to answer your question. But um, uh, yes, uh, certainly more or less. Um, you said initially, that I've spent uh, very many years doing Linux that is that is precise, that is correct. So I'm a, what one calls a consultant. I go around, um, uh, I do projects, mainly DNS, uh, DNSSEC projects, um, things like Ansible. So for, for a large number of years, I've been, uh, I, I was doing projects at uh, companies and many of these companies use Linux as, uh, as their platform. So that sort of forced me more or less to concentrate on that, on that area, not maybe not so much on the other Unixes. Um, but uh, yes, that, that's, that's correct. Okay, so um, you were there in the early days. You've seen Linux and BSD. If we look at um, the Linux ecosystem and the BSD ecosystem today, I think it's safe to say that Linux is vastly more popular in um, perhaps the mainstream sysadmin world. BSD has become very popular for uh, embedded devices as well. I think most of Juniper net network switches um, still run a version of BSD. Uh, I think my question to you is, Looking back at those 30 years, can you see why Linux became more popular than BSD? Or is it not more popular? Or am I missing something? Um, in my opinion, yes, it is. Linux is much more popular. It gained uh, probably due, I'm, I'm not actually quite sure, but probably due to, let's say, in, in quotes, marketing, it gained tremendous popularity. It uh, it saw widespread distribution. It saw a lot of um, a lot of commercialization. It saw a lot of uh, yes, I would even call it advertisement. I don't necessarily mean commercial advertisement, but people who spoke about it, people who spoke about the the uh, the wonders of what Linus Torvalds did. Um, so today, I would definitely say that Linux is vastly more popular than uh, the BSDs. Um, and probably also vastly more implemented. So in other words, you have all the different uh, commercial implementations. You have the embedded systems. You have your, your lifts, your, your Raspberry Pis, and all these things run uh, some version of Linux somehow. But on the other hand, of course, uh, as you rightly said, uh, we also have a number of products that have, uh, that contain a BSD code uh, starting off, I think you use a Mac, uh, in, in a Mac there's BSD code in uh, your Juniper routers, in your, uh, if you watch Netflix, uh, Netflix is, is uh, powered by a free BSD. Uh, they, I believe they have 
they use FreeBSD and they also develop on FreeBSD because they are able to massively tune the network stack in order to provide the bandwidth that they actually need to distribute all these masses of video. Um, so there are a large number of manufacturers or products that contain, let's say, FreeBSD or one of the BSDs, um, not last because of the licensing. The licensing is on the BSD side uh, very simple. You typically have uh, the, the two or three clause uh, BSD license, which typically allows you to do anything you want with the code. Okay. So if I can uh, circle back to my uh, the thing I wondered before, um, you have that 30 years of experience on Linux and you've been more and more active on the BSD end. Why that shift? Why going back towards BSD? Well, um, it's uh, maybe a little bit of a religious uh, answer to the question. The question is very valid. Um, I mentioned earlier that um, I have done all sorts of projects at customer sites. And um, these are typically customers which use any of the, I'll say, large Linux distributions. Um, that'll be Red Hat slash CentOS, that'll be Debian slash Ubuntu, or it might be uh, SUSE Linux Enterprise. And uh, to be honest, um, this is maybe or very possibly coupled with an age thing, <laughs> um, but I have been getting um, more and more, um, shall I say, upset about the... Um, constantly changing interfaces. Uh, by that I mean, for example, um, if I need to set up a network in, uh, or if I needed to set up a network or an, just an interface in Red Hat, it used to be uh, in sysconfig somewhere there was a network script and in Debian there was an interfaces file and so on. And um, all these things, all these interfaces are constantly changing. Now this might be for the good of mankind. I'm not able to say so, um, but it has uh, uh, it, it it has not helped me. And I suddenly decided that I um, I wanted to change that for myself. So I wanted to go back to I wanted to do something different. And that different that is uh, one of the BSDs, say OpenBSD or FreeBSD, which. Uh, are far more traditional in their changes. They do not uh, constantly attempt to uh, revamp the world. Um, I'm not sure if I've answered your question, but that is uh, that is one thing. And another thing which has made me uh, revisit OpenBSD, revisit FreeBSD, for example, is I have decided um, that... Um, since I occasionally write a little bit of code um, in whatever language it may be, or occasionally write the odd system, um, I wanted to be able to do stuff in a portable way. So I, I decided earlier this year that uh, whenever I wrote a line of code, I would make quite sure that that would run on, at the very least, two, I think three, I said, um, different operating system platforms. So that would be... For example, one of the BSDs may be a Linux distribution. And uh, yeah, so the, those are mainly the reasons why I've done that. That's cool. If um, a, a clickbait title could now be System D drove you to BSD. 
That is that is indeed a, a very nice clickbait title. Um, it is, to a certain extent, um, it might even uh, be approaching the truth. I uh, to tell a very short story. I basically think a lot of the things that System D has provided, or is providing, um, are good. Um, I know a number of people who are going to say, uh, JP, how much did you drink this morning? Um, but a number of things that systemd implements are good. For example, systemd and spawn is very interesting. It, nobody uses it, or hardly anybody uses it, but it's very interesting. Lightweight containers on the systemd, or the the timers in systemd instead of using cron, for example, or the unit files, the fact that we can sort of just drop in a unit file and have that activated somehow. Those are things which I personally think are very good. They're very useful, and it was the right thing to do. The reason that I'm not specifically very friendly or reasons why I'm not specifically very friendly with Systemd, A, I am a strong believer that Systemd was implemented too quickly by the large Linux distributions without it having uh, experience enough, uh, let's say, quality control or, or history. So it was very, very quickly, if my recollection is right, very quickly rolled out onto the old Basically, all the Linux distributions, or at least very many of them. And there are certain things that I I would like to say intensely dislike, like the journal, which basically would be a good idea, but the way it's been implemented, the fact that I have to search around looking for logs, etc. Those are things that, that I dislike about Systemd. Yes, I will admit that. I think I'm in full agreement there. Um, I, I, I like the very same parts that you mentioned, um, I think the the power of a unit file is is really great. We, we've we've been able to dump most of our hacky bash scripts that we just call sysv in it, um, but they were just bash scripts. I mean, everybody writes them in their own way. There's hardly any consistency. Um, I think systemd for the most part has improved things. I also curse at my interface names. They are quote predictable, um, but really, if you call eth zero and eth one, that's predictable, not some random MAC address derived uh, naming scheme. Yes, that is, yeah. So I, I think I curse and praise at systemd for the very same things that you do. Um, and I think if you want to be, or if you want to use a pure um, Linux slash Unix system, I think your transition to BSD makes sense. Especially as you said in the beginning, if most of the tools are essentially similar, um, then perhaps such a transition from Linux to BSD isn't rocket science either, or is that harder than I imagine it to be? No, definitely not. As I uh, already said earlier, if you if you had to go back to a System Five release four system today, we probably wouldn't necessarily want it because there are all sorts of things, all sorts of tools missing that you might want today. But um, but no, this this transition is. Is 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 really very easy. The well, I mean, it starts if if you install a, a free BSD system, for example, if you install an open BSD system, you might say, uh, "Oh my goodness, it's a text installer. How am I going to survive that?" Um, well, who please needs a graphical installer to set up an operating system? The amount of money that has been invested by these people is just gigantic. Uh, installing an operating system is something that you typically do either in an automated fashion if you are an enterprise or that you do just by hitting a few keys. Nobody needs, to my mind anyway, nobody needs a graphical installer. But um, so the installers 
might on OpenBSD on on uh, on, uh, on FreeBSD, for example, they might appear to be slightly primitive, but they they make sense. They work. They are uh, reliable. And yeah, once you're up, then you've got you've got a Unix system. You've got um, basically you've got something which is um, in a way quite different to Linux. Linux is a distribution. That means that is something that. To my mind, very many people don't don't really understand. I mean, your listeners probably do, but but anybody who starts off doesn't necessarily understand that. This term distribution means the kernel is developed by an entity. The utilities are developed by a second entity. Um, and then you get a third entity, these are called Red Hat or Canonical or Debian or whatever they're all called, um, who take these individual bits and pieces, assemble them, and bring them out as what they call a distribution. Um, which is fine. I mean, it works. It's uh, or typically works. It's no problem. But if you install an OpenBSD or FreeBSD or NetBSD, by the way, there are also too many of those, um, what you get is an operating system. So if you install uh, FreeBSD, for example, you have a full operating system that comes out of one out of one entity, out of one hand. And that operating system is not only the operating system, you have the full source code to the operating system. You have, when you've done your installation, you've got um, a compiler, you've got an editor, you've got all the utilities that you need, or most of them anyway. Um, which are which belong to the base system. It's a it's a complete um, it's a com it's a complete thing. It's not uh, individual bits and pieces that, are, that have been put together. Of course, you can then add packages. You can add external programs, obviously. Um, but a base um, OpenBSD or a base FreeBSD is something that is fully functional and um, has been developed in concert. Is has been developed together. So if the uh, makers of FreeBSD decide to change something, they can do so, and they can be sure that the next deployment of this operating system will uh, will, will will work. Yeah, it will it will be one thing. Couldn't you say the same thing about Canonical? If they release a new LTS version of Ubuntu, they are in charge of making sure that everything works in harmony. Am I missing a link between what you consider the distribution versus an operating system? Um, maybe, yes, it's possible that that uh, could be said about, for example, Canonical or maybe even Red Hat. Um, I'm probably not familiar enough with uh, the way they work, but uh, they get, I think they get the kernel from upstream and then they patch it around or they modify it to suit their needs. Isn't that isn't that right? Ah, yeah. So I think where, where you make that distinction, I think it makes sense to me now. Um, Canonical takes a lot of independent pieces from different upstreams, different developers, different projects, bundles them up and ships it as Ubuntu. Whereas OpenBSD or FreeBSD, they write that own kernel. They write their user land-based packages. They have, um, they have control over that ecosystem that they will ship as a new version. That is correct. Is that a correct assumption? Okay. That is correct. Then I think I will make um, a, a comparison that will get me a lot of hate. Um, in a sense, OpenBSD is more like Windows than 
Linux. <laughs> yes, well, it was nice knowing you, Matthias. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> Let's wrap. <laughs> But in the sense that it's an entire operating system shipped as a single um a single entity a single distribution well, i can't say distribution but um it is a single operating system much like windows could be called a single operating system yes i i personally do not disagree i'm not quite sure what the purists would say but I, yes i think your comparison is not even that bad okay uh it's also been nice talking to you jp i think you will lose about half your followers now no they were all gone but <laughs> <laughs> okay uh you um You mentioned BSD and you mentioned the different flavors already, FreeBSD, OpenBSD, there's NetBSD. Um, how do those differ? Where, where, what's their origin and what's, what do they target? Well, the, the origin, um, I think all the origins were at uh, BSD 4.3. So we're talking now approximately uh, 1990, 1991. And then there was a company or an, an organization. I, I seem to recall the man was called Bill Bill Jollitz, Bill Jovitz, something like that, who created something called 386 BSD, which was um, BSD running on on an Intel chip on an Intel 386. And out of that then came a free BSD. I think uh, today we would probably call it a fork. Um, so for some reason. And I'm sorry, I do not recall the reasons. Uh, these people weren't uh, very happy with each other. And uh, then FreeBSD was created from that. Out of that also came um, an operating system called NetBSD, also in 1992, 1993, approximately. And one of the people who worked uh, with NetBSD or maybe even founded uh, this operating system um, was a man called uh, Theodorat. And uh, he then split off and said, well, I don't, basically said, I don't want to work with you guys or I'm not, I'm not uh, happy with the way this project is going. And he uh, again forked this NetBSD and turned that into an operating system, which today we know as uh, OpenBSD. Uh, OpenBSD, uh, this is the project and these are the people, uh, exceedingly clever people who are, um, Uh, also, who have also been responsible for uh, example for OpenSSH, for OpenSMTPD, for a number of um, spin-offs, uh, which I think originated with OpenBSD. So it's a, an operating system which is uh, deemed or which is termed as highly secure. It's uh, quite small. It has a number of, um, the, I could imagine you might say limitations. Um, uh, I would call them a number of let's say, features. So, for example, OpenBSD, the developers of OpenBSD refuse to implement Bluetooth support in their operating system, which already for a number of people would mean, okay, they can't use it because they can't connect their latest whiz-bang Bluetooth thing. Now, there's a reason, of course, why OpenBSD people don't want to implement Bluetooth, and that is that Bluetooth is inherently insecure, so they don't even want to touch it. Um, and so the... OpenBSD is a, a very strict, very rigorous team of different people, people basically like you and I, but very clever programmers who, uh, who develop and who, uh, who uh, have also managed to create exquisite and 
that I really mean the way I say it, exquisite documentation. Um, I have never seen better uh, manual pages for a Unix system than on OpenBSD. It's really, really, really exquisite. I was demonstrating or showing the other day how uh, some of our user uh, uh, suggested a patch, uh, basically a, a three or four word patch to a man page. And then one of the developers chimed in and said, we should maybe do that uh, differently and phrase it this way and phrase it that way. So there are people who speak um, uh, who speak up about documentation or change documentation who spend quite a lot of time working on the documentation. The man pages are really quite exquisite. Um, by the way, also something which is slightly lacking, I think, on the Linux side. So, um, yeah, that's that's basically the, the history. So uh, 4.3 BSD, then 386 BSD, and then split off into these three uh, projects over a certain time, over a few years. I think it was four or five years in total. Today we have uh, basically FreeBSD, NetBSD, OpenBSD, but then there are others. So there are this thing, something called Dragonfly BSD, and there are a number of additional uh, spin-offs. Uh, I think most of them uh, spun off from uh, FreeBSD. Okay, if if you if we were to look at the market share of each of those um, operating systems, which is most popular right now? Um, I really do not know the numbers, but I would guess uh, that it would be FreeBSD. Um, OpenBSD is a little bit special. I, I've, I've, I very much like it because it's, yes, it's it's small, it's it's beautifully written, it's lovely code, it's it's very reliable. I, I very much like it. Um, but I think FreeBSD would probably have. Uh, the highest numbers, uh, certainly in terms of, let's say, um, installations on maybe laptops or servers. Uh, I do not know about embedded. They also, I would actually guess FreeBSD, but I'm, I'm not familiar enough with the numbers. I think FreeBSD would probably win that that uh, that war. That well, it's not a war, but that that that's those statistics. Okay, my my gut feeling would have said that OpenBSD was more popular. I have no idea why, but I, looking at um, the tech news, tech articles, it could also be because, as you mentioned, OpenBSD is perhaps a bit more um, radical in its ideas that it gets written about a bit more because, um, well, if it's more extreme about certain ideologies, um, it usually gets covered more as well. But I see OpenBSD pop up more than FreeBSD. Or at least that's my gut feeling. Um, very hard to say. I uh, it, it it might be that you perceive it that way. It might also be the case. As I say, I'm not I'm not familiar with numbers. Uh, my gut feeling would be FreeBSD. Um, also, in terms of uh, topics that I've heard, for example, at two of the BSD conferences, I had the pleasure to be invited to BSD Can, which is a BSD conference in Canada and Ottawa. Uh, when was it? Uh, last year. And I'll be going again this year. I've been accepted to give a talk about DNS servers. Um, and I was in uh, Lillehammer at um, at the EuroBSDCon um, uh, in November last year. And um, there, if you look at all the talks, I would say it's mainly FreeBSD or 
yeah, a focus on FreeBSD. What's what's your go-to for this? Do you default to FreeBSD as well? It depends. Um, if possible or if feasible, if I think it's uh, sufficient for whatever I want to do, I would probably tend to OpenBSD. There are a number of things in FreeBSD which uh, are, yeah, killer features. Number one is ZFS, um, the file system. Um, with its snapshots, with its boot environments. That's just, I never use the A word, but that is really awesome. Um, and number two is um, certainly jails, the lightweight containers uh, that uh, FreeBSD has to offer. Um, where on a laptop with eight or 16 gigabytes, uh, you can create uh, 200, 300, 400, uh, jails and run individual applications in there, sort of containerized. Uh, that is, um, those are features that FreeBSD has, which OpenBSD does not and most likely never will because of a number of reasons. But yeah, most likely never will. There's no reason to implement them. So uh, I would say typically, to answer your question, my go-to would be, typically be FreeBSD. Okay, because it gives you a, um, a better base to build any application on. Correct. Or host any application on. Okay. Cool. Um, I, th I think I have a good idea on, on the, the history of um, those BSD um, versions, I'll, put, I'll call them. Um, if, you, um, if you work on them day to day, so you SSH into a free BSD, a net BSD, and an open BSD. Would you be able to tell the difference straight away or would you only notice that by lack of certain binaries, certain features? Um, can you distinguish them at first sight? I would, I would hazard a guess that it would take you quite a while to notice the difference. Um, and I can actually corroborate that by saying the following. I, ha I gave a training uh, two weeks ago and um, the um, the trainees used they connected via SSH to a bunch of servers, and after it was a four day training, uh, these were uh, system admins, so system admins more or less familiar with uh, Linux. And at the end of the four days, as I was packing up, I asked these people because I wanted to know, I wanted their, a little bit of their feedback because this whole environment I had, I had completely newly built, I wanted to know. And I, I asked them, uh, was everything okay? Did you have any trouble? Did you did you notice anything specific? And they all said, no, these are really, really cool Linux systems. It was free BSD jails. So they didn't notice. Um, you, if, if you, Matthias logged in, you would very possibly notice very quickly. So for example, if on that system you'd done a DF disk free, you would have immediately seen, oh, that's a strange looking device name that doesn't, that doesn't appear to be very Linuxy. Or if you did a PS, you might notice a difference. And, and of course, there are certain utilities that, 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 that taste a little bit different. There are certain uh, command line utilities which you might use, as I mentioned earlier already, which may, in the GNU world, in other words, in the Linux world, have an additional option or two um, where FreeBSD or OpenBSD would say, well, don't understand that option. 
Um, but I think it would likely take quite a while for you to notice. Okay. Which is a good thing. I think it, I think you're right. Um, I can imagine, um, okay, nowadays everybody should be using config management and automation and we should not be installing packages manually on servers, but let's assume that you still do. Um, the moment you want to install a package, I'm guessing you would notice because the package manager between a Linux and a BSD um, device would be vastly different. Well, uh, with all due respect, the package manager between your Linux distribution and my Linux distribution is completely different as well. Correct. Yeah. So uh, I w while I agree that that a lot of us or a lot of large environments do config management or configuration management, uh, of course, there are probably tens of thousands, maybe even millions of people who've never heard of it and who wouldn't want to because they administer one or two, one or two machines, maybe they're on laptop. Um, and if you uh, if uh, if you are running what is your preferred linux distribution do you have one i'm shifting it used to be centos but i'm shifting towards ubuntu so okay so uh, all the better actually that you say that because you used to type yum install uh, and now you type apt get install or apt install um, so between these two worlds you have you have a difference and not only do you have a different utility name um which by the way is well that's a long story um not only do you have a different utility name but you also have completely different semantics so for example in the yum world or it's not called yum anymore it's called dnf now because let's have a new package manager it's a new release so um uh, in the yum world you have or in the dnf world in other words in the red hat or centos world you when you do an install by default you have a repository refresh which happens in the background or in the foreground um on the debian side uh, that does not occur the repository refresh only occurs when you do an apt update so you have also on the, on the individual or over the individual Linux distributions, um, different different utilities, different syntaxes, different semantics for doing things. And interestingly, uh, many people say, oh, but BSD is different. And I say, yes, sure, it's different. But all your Linux is also different. By the way, going back to the beginning of our conversation, uh, one of the reasons that drove me back to BSD. No? Um, so, uh, yes, to come back now to your to your question. Sure, if you uh, logged on to my uh, free BSD machine, then you would ask me, what's the package manager called? And I would say it's called PKG. So you would then type in package, PKG, install, uh, package name. Um, and then the package is installed. It's downloaded from a repository and installed, just like it would that just like it would happen on your uh, CentOS, on your Red Hat, or on your Debian machine. I think the the naming in uh, FreeBSD already makes more sense because you're installing a package, so you name the package <laughs> manager package. I was hoping you'd notice. Yes, <laughs> uh, I have no idea why someone would call it DNF or what. What even is YUM? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Uh, YUM is, uh, if my memory serves me, Yellow Dog Update Manager. Yellow Dog was a Oh, but now memory fails me. Wasn't that a, a Taiwanese uh, Red Hat implementation? Something like that? It could very well be. I have no idea. It's just yum equals package installs. Yes, um, exactly. 
And today, YUM, I think today, now with RHEL 8, YUM is a symlink onto uh, DNF. Yeah. And I can imagine it will just be DNF install package name. Um, So the user lands, uh, the usage that we have from our package managers, even though the binary name will probably differ between them all, it's similar. As you say, of course, you have um, you have yum versus apt, and there's the semantic difference between uh, updating the repo or not. Uh, but to install a package, um, I'm going to guess that if I want to upgrade a package, it's pkg upgrade package name. Uh, to be honest, I'm not quite sure if it's upgrade or up- I think it's update. But yes, uh, yeah, I mean that would be the second choice. There's an ex- there's an ex- uh, exquisite man page um, which uh, describes all this. Um, the documentation, by the way, is really excellent. You have a, a very good free free BSD handbook, which, for example, goes through these all these things. But uh, yes, uh, it's it's a package upgrade, upgrade or a package update, which will do exactly what you expect it to do. And you can also update all packages, for example, on OpenBSD. There's also a package. Uh, I think it's package package add no package info minus u, which will uh, upgrade all installed all packages that you've installed. Uh, so yeah, all these all these systems have utilities which do what you would do on a Linux system typically. Do all those BSD systems have the same package infrastructure, package manager, or is there a difference um, between YUM and apt as well in the BSD ecosystem? Unfortunately, I think I must say there is also a difference here. So the the package infrastructure on um, OpenBSD differs from that of FreeBSD, for example. Um, the the utility name is different. The, the 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 what are called the ports and the packages are slightly different. Um, so yes, each of these worlds has their own um, has their own difference. Uh, they are separate operating systems. They are not flavors. They are separate, distinct operating systems. So in the Linux world, world would probably say they are distinct distributions. In the Unix world, I say they are distinct operating systems, and therefore they display differences. Yeah. Okay, so you, it's hard to put them side by side and compare them. They've, as you mentioned, they they've been around since nineteen ninety ish, so they've had a small thirty years to evolve in different directions. Would probably make sense that they today. They are vastly different operating systems. They just happen to share um, the BSD naming and perhaps a very old kernel uh, at the root of it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Um, you, since you're talking about packaging, I think I saw you mention that you've written packages before for BSD. Is that correct? Uh, yes, that is correct. Um, I became interested uh, earlier this year, two, three months ago. No, that's not true. Uh, this year hasn't had two or three months yet. Um, I think it was end of last year. Um, I became interested, respectively. I had the necessity to um, to um, provide a package or two, and I wanted to do so on OpenBSD and on uh, FreeBSD. Um, I've done a bit of packaging before in my earlier life. I think it was Red Hat 4. No, not RHEL 4, Red Hat 4. Um, and creating packages about the worst thing I've ever done in my life. And um, I wanted to sort of experience how is it on in the BSD worlds. Um, 
so yes, I submitted two or three packages. Uh, one was a port of a, of a utility which I wanted uh, to use, and one was an own piece of code. And um, yes, writing packages for these uh, two systems, FreeBSD and uh, OpenBSD, is um, is well, I won't say trivial because packaging never is trivial, but it's uh, basically following quite good documentation, quite adequate documentation. Um, and then when you submit a port, um, what is called a port, so in other words, a new a new package. Well, then uh, when you submit a port, you basically submit um, a piece of make file, which will in the uh, infrastructure of the individual operating system, which will then cause that uh, what you've provided to actually turn into a package. Um, it was interesting, not something I would like to do every day, uh, but it was interesting, not particularly um, bad. I don't recall it as being, let's say, better or worse than any other packaging uh, system I've seen. Uh, what I liked a lot is it's um, the... Uh, the tooling is basically a whole bunch of make files and, and, and things around built around makes or around um, components that a Unix system already brings with it. Okay. Um, stupid question from my end. Um, the, the, the packaging systems on BSD, um, do you ship pre-built binaries or because there's a compiler available on every system, you ship source code and it gets compiled in those make files? What gets shipped you, you can do both. Um, the FreeBSD, for example, has what is called a ports collection and OpenBSD likewise. And this ports collection is um, a very large directory tree, which has some somewhere like, I think, 20,000 uh, packages at the moment. So 20,000 directories split over different categories. So you have system category, network category, miscellaneous, mail, whatever. And... Um, you can, as you rightly say, because we have a compiler on these systems, because we have the whole infrastructure that is necessary to actually build something, which is not necessarily the case on a Linux system, uh, where typically nowadays compiler is not, not installed by default, which is very sad, but anyway, uh, because we have the whole build infrastructure, you can actually descend into one of these directories, say make the original uh, tar file, is downloaded, then um, the, the software is unpacked and it is made, it is built. Um, and you are able to typically anyway, um, configure individual flavors of the package in in a make file. Uh, so I'm, I'm just inventing something. You might have a program XYZ, which has a flavor XYZ and it has a flavor XYZ with TLS. Yeah, you can decide when building which flavor you would like. And uh, these ports are converted centrally, converted into packages, downloadable binary packages. Um, and whoever runs that infrastructure decides on the flavor. So it might be that you could install via a package where you get XYZ installed. But if you wanted the special TLS flavor or the special ABC flavor, you would need to build the package yourself or build the port yourself. You mentioned package and port. Are those then two... Should I look at them as two different ways of getting a um, a binary onto my system where ports takes the source and builds it? 
in whichever flavor you like and package takes pre-built binaries and takes those? That's the way I see it. Correct. Okay. So with if you want utmost flexibility, you would build from ports. However, what you typically do is you build a package yourself from the port and then install that package locally. Okay. So it's like it's like on your own machine building your own RPM files and then installing them. And there is also, for example, FreeBSD has a package builder called Poudrière, which uh, is uh, runs in jail, so it runs sort of uh, containerized, let's say compartmentalized. And with that, you can, uh, for example, for your organization, for your company, set up a package builder which automatically retrieves new ports, it builds packages and makes them available for distribution via the package system, via the PKG utility um, within your own organization or over your own server infrastructure. So the, okay. the, the tooling is, I would say, the, I would say the tooling is very good. And in particular, the tooling is is simple. It's not something, it's not rocket science. It's not something you have to study for days on end to get to get to know it. Okay, that's good to hear. Um, I'm starting to like what I hear about BSD, mostly free BSD, I think, since it's more accessible. Um, I think I will one day start up a web server and test it on free BSD just to see if it works and what, uh, what problems I run into. Oh, it will work and you will not run into problems at all, I would say. Um, it will work for the simple reason that, for example, you can, uh, on FreeBSD, decide whether you want to install Apache, whether you want to install Nginx, um, or, or whatever other piece of code you want to install. There are, um, I think, momentarily somewhere around 20, 25, maybe even 30,000 packages um, from which you can install binaries um, or binary packages which you can install. Um, and uh, with the exception of maybe the odd path, which is going to be different, I think you wouldn't notice. So, uh, for example, if you install an Apache on CentOS, you get slash etc or slash etc slash httpd. If you do the same on Debian, you would get slash etc slash Apache uh, 24, it is, no? Or Apache 2. Um, Apache 2, indeed. Yeah. And uh, if you install an Apache on uh, FreeBSD, you would get... Uh, slash user local etc. Uh, I think it's then HTTPD. So the the configuration paths are different, but other than that, uh, I think you wouldn't you wouldn't notice a difference. Okay. Well, I, I think you you um you mentioned a good segue here. What? So if you're used to running Linux, um, you know that most of your configuration files will probably be somewhere in slash etc or etc. How do how do you what do you say? Is it slash etc or slash etc? Uh, I think there are about 17,000 different ways of saying it. I personally say slash etc, um, but there are people, I, I had a poll about that uh, about a year ago. Uh, there are people who say um, etc, there are people who say etc, which to me is too long. And there are, I think it's uh, mainly Americans, and I like it, but it's, I've not been able to adopt it. I don't know why, who say etsy. Uh, which uh, I like because it's it's very short. It is, but it also remind me, reminds me of some kind of web shop on the internet. Um, <laughs> That's uh, maybe a disadvantage, yes. 
uh, I, I'm camp slash etc. So I'll, I'll go with that. Um, if you install uh, software and you're looking for configurations on Linux, you would probably start looking at slash etc. Um, you mentioned on FreeBSD, it would be slash user local slash etc. Um, well, what path differences stand out for you between Linux and BSD? The the formula is basically if it's uh, if it's provided if the uh, component of your configuration file is provided by the operating system, then it it's in slash etc. If it's provided by something you install, so some package or some port which you explicitly install, then it would be typically located in slash user slash local slash etc. So that's okay. that's a differentiation. Um, this differentiation is done so that the operating system and the ports uh, slash packages can can uh, so they don't stumble on each other's toes. That's I think the main reason why it's done. In uh, would also make it a lot easier to run your operating system on a read-only file system because you never actually install anything on top of it. Everything would be in a different slash user local, um, which could be a different partition. Um, yes, that is correct. In terms of uh, FreeBSD, what we, I think we would typically do is is basically not care. So if you're if you're about to do an upgrade, for example, you could uh, um, create a boot environment, and this boot environment will have a snapshot of your operating system. And uh, if the upgrade fails for whichever reason or renders your system unusable you can boot into a previous environment and then you basically get it's it's like a like a snapshot of your whole operating system of which you can carry multiple and you can boot into these individual um, boot up, uh, boot environments to to come back to a well-known state um so i yeah, what you say is is correct. It's possible. It's I think something that's not done very frequently, but it's certainly possible. Which which makes it a lot more clean than say um, I, I think Ubuntu is trying to change that with its uh, snap packages, where where everything tries to be um, contained in in different directories. But by default, a Linux system is a mix and match of um, custom based applications, some some source compiled applications, some operating configs. They're all all over the place, basically. Um, BSD is better structured. I think it's better structured. Uh, I, I, I personally agree. It might be I might be biased, of course, but I, I personally agree. And what I uh, particularly like about, uh, for example, FreeBSD in that respect is you have um, a slash etcrc.conf, which is your your uh, run level, well, not run level, but your, your startup configuration file. So in there, you basically define which services you want to enable. If, do you want send mail? Do you want this? Do you want uh, yeah? What what you know, what's your interface called? What's your uh, how do you obtain your IP address? All that is defined in this in this basically shell script type file. Uh, just individual um, settings, um, and you have the same structure um, under. Uh, slash user slash local slash etc. So you have exactly the same thing there. You can, if you provided a piece of software via a port or via uh, a package or just manually, you could drop a startup uh, program, a startup script into user local 
uh, ETC, uh, RC.D, I think it is, and um, FreeBSD will automatically pick it up when it, for example, when it reboots away, when you use the service program to start or stop or enable it, uh, a particular service. So th- we have on the one hand slash ETC and on the other hand slash user local ETC, but with, a, with very similar or actually identical tooling, uh, which is used on both ends. So that makes it quite effective, quite quite easy to, to master, I think. Perhaps to, um, to, to tie into what you do, I think, most of the time, um, you, you're online, you're uh, pretty well known for your Ansible uh, courses. I, if, if I recall correctly, you, you wrote a book about Ansible? Oh, no, 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 I didn't do that. Oh, I don't, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not never going to write a book again. Um, I wrote a book about DNSSEC, uh, I'm sorry, I wrote a book about DNS servers, about uh, open source DNS servers. Uh, but not not about Ansible. I have uh, uh, I have uh, read several books about Ansible, and on the back of uh, the Ansible up and running um, book in the second edition, mm-hmm. uh, my name is on there, uh, basically saying uh, he read the book. <laughs> Stamp of approval that you've read it. Okay, uh, um, okay let, let me rephrase. It's safe to say that you know your way around Ansible. Um, I, I think this is where you say yes. I know my way around Ansible. Uh, <laughs> I'm nodding. Uh, you can't see me nodding, but yeah, it's safe to say that I've heard about Ansible. Yes, correct. I started working on Ansible uh, way back when I think it was 2012 when Michael Dehan uh, originally created, or very shortly after he originally created this um, this uh, tooling, and um, I did a number of contributions to Ansible. I wrote a few of the modules. I wrote uh, the, I created the documentation system. So the the system by which even today, um, the Ansible modules, for example, document themselves um, that uh, was originally, uh, originally I created that. So I know my way, a little bit of my way around Ansible. Yes. And I do trainings. That is correct. Okay. Um, with your Ansible experience, if do you, do you see a big difference between using Ansible to manage a Linux versus a BSD system? Or because of the abstraction layers, it feels the same. Uh, how would you categorize managing Linux or BSD with Ansible? Uh, that's a very nice question. I like that question because I think uh, I think that more or less, uh, or the answer could more or less sum up a lot of what we've been uh, talking about now. I very much like that question. Um, there are differences, of course, and these differences are mainly um, due to the underlying target operating system. So let us suppose we have an Ansible controller, which is the the system on which Ansible is installed, and I'm going to now target on the one hand, let's say a FreeBSD system, and on the other hand, let's say a CentOS or a Debian system. Um, there are initially uh, some differences, of course. Um, uh, one of the differences, for example, is that uh, if we want to, to have privilege escalation on the target systems, we would need to install sudo, for example, or do as on FreeBSD because it doesn't uh, FreeBSD does not come with these utilities. So that is something we would need to install. 
um, if we wanted to use that or if we required to use that. Um, on the other hand, um, uh, for example, FreeBSD would require an installation of Python because uh, FreeBSD does not by default, I think, come with a, a version of Python. Um, let's uh, assume we've done that. And let's assume, uh, for example, during installation, we've ensured that we have those prerequisites. Then on the Ansible controller, uh, we have relatively little that we need to take care of. But yes, of course, there are differences. If you write a, what is called a playbook to uh, deploy um, software or to deploy configuration onto these systems, you will have to account for certain differences. So for example, on your Linux machine, you will, as we just spoke earlier, you will uh, create a file called slash etc slash httpd slash whatever. And on the FreeBSD side, that might be called slash user slash local slash etc slash httpd slash whatever. So we have to account for these differences. That is the reason why Ansible, for example, has its fact variables, which tell us which flavor operating system are we on, uh, specific paths, IP addresses, all sorts of technical information about uh, about the systems that we are deploying onto. So if you spend a little bit of time, not too much, if you spend a little, little bit of time thinking about this and preparing, then the end result is basically that you, yes, you can deploy onto either flavor. Now, um, there are inherent differences. So for example, this happened, uh, I think it was mid last year. I was, uh, I had a playbook which needed to run make, the make utility um, on the target system. And it worked flawlessly on Linux and it failed on FreeBSD. Now the reason it failed on FreeBSD is FreeBSD by, by default does not come with GNU make, whereas Linux comes with GNU make. These are two completely different tools. So you have the BSD make on the one hand and you have the GNU make on the other hand. GNU make has a very large number of additional capabilities and options. The reason the Ansible module failed is the module, the Ansible component, the Ansible module was invoking make with dash dash file, make file name. But the BSD make does not recognize this option dash dash file the bsd make only knows an option dash f um, i was able to fix this of course very quickly locally and i then provided a one of my trivial patches which was then applied um, to change the module in ansible uh, in the ansible distribution to only use dash f which would then do exactly the same uh, exactly the same thing on both sides so there are differences. Um, some of these differences we can very easily work around. Uh, others require maybe additional installation. So you have, for example, the unarchive module in Ansible land, which is able to extract a zip or a tar or a compressed tar file. Now this unarchive module, the unarchive Ansible module has been written uh, apparently by somebody who was only familiar with tar on Linux and tar on Linux that is GNU tar which has a boatload of additional options compared to the original tars or to the FreeBSD tar so the unarchive module 
in order to execute that on a BSD machine requires the GTAR package. Now, this is documented. It's documented in the module. So in other words, your playbook would need to account here again for the free BSD machine and would need to additionally install the GTAR package. So these are the kind of things that we that we uh, have to realize, that we have to know uh, here again, to my mind, it's important that this is possible. It is important that we can use Ansible to distribute to any, basically any Unix-like operating system. And yes, we can even do Windows now. Um, and uh, these operating systems are different. And I think what is most important for me is that um, people who write Ansible modules should maybe be more aware, uh, if they aren't already, but made aware of the fact that there are differences in the Unixes and the target Unixes and try and accommodate for these differences, if at all possible. Um, so back to your question, uh, is it possible or is it very difficult to run Ansible against different Unix versions, against different Linux versions? The answer typically is no, it is not difficult. There's a few things that you need to look out for. Um, a few things that need configuring, for example, the path to the Python interpreter. Um, but other than that, um, we can run playbooks, and I do this a lot. I do, I, I, I teach this also in trainings. Since about two, two and a half years, I've been doing trainings again. I've been teaching. I'm hugely, um, uh, hugely liking this again. Um, and so this, these are things that I very explicitly point out in my trainings, that one has to be, uh, attempt to be portable. So it's um, managing a BSD through Ansible is not much more difficult than, say, managing CentOS versus Ubuntu. You have paths to keep in mind. Your binary names might sometimes differ. Your package names might sometimes differ. Um, but if you've already been managing um, your 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 configs, whether that's Puppet or Ansible, which targets Red Hat or Ubuntu, targeting a BSD next to it. If you've already had the pleasure of uh, finding the differences between Ubuntu and Red Hat systems, um, finding the differences between a BSD system shouldn't be rocket science anymore. Correct. See, I, I see a lot of reasons why I should be trying free BSD. Um, I... Yes, I, I would say for a lot of what you do, or uh, no, let me rephrase that, for a lot of what I think you do, um, <laughs> there are uh, there are certainly reasons to do so. Um, uh, FreeBSD, for example, or OpenBSD on a server is something that you can that you can do immediately. FreeBSD on a on a on a on a laptop on a desktop is something that you you can also do immediately. I'm not. I must say, though, I'm not specifically familiar with that. For me, a laptop is, I, I live in a shell, so um, a laptop is sufficient if I have TMOX in a bunch of shells, uh, normally speaking, anyway. Um, so, um, but yes, these are definitely systems that uh, that you can that you can run. And uh, FreeBSD, for example, OpenBSD, uh, very reliable. Um, I'm not I'm not trying to insinuate that Linux is less reliable. I'm just saying free, the BSDs are very, very, very reliable. We have, uh, 
You even have now Amazon um, EC2 machines running FreeBSD, so you can install FreeBSD there. I'm not familiar with that, though. What I have done is uh, digital ocean droplets with FreeBSD, and the result is, yeah, it's a BSD machine. So it's uh, uh, these are things that uh, just work. I mean, if you think that companies such as Netflix, which earn their money basically off um, being able to transport video, uh, and a boatload of video um, uh, use FreeBSD, then it can't be it can't be all bad. No, and if if you imagine that pretty much any Juniper router runs BSD and they can have uptimes of five years or more, okay, they should have been rebooted for patches, but that's beside the point. I, th I think it's safe to say that um, FreeBSD, OpenBSD, they can be rock solid and very stable. Absolutely. If you th if you imagine uh, FreeNAS, for example, is one of the major uh, open source NAS network attached storage systems. FreeNAS runs uh, runs uh, FreeBSD. Uh, so I mean, yeah, there, there there's a large number of of products which which build on uh, on the shoulders of these operating systems. So yes, definitely, definitely have a look. Um, I think I think you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily regret it uh, on the contrary i'm not trying to convert you this is not a religious show here but uh yes definitely have a look uh, i can recommend to anybody to have a look start off with a uh, if you like with something virtual start off with a virtual box or with your vmware fusion or whatever you have and um, install openbsd or install freebsd it's a matter of literally minutes uh, to do this installation don't get put off by, as I mentioned earlier, don't get put off by a text installer on the contrary. Well, I think it's actually a good thing uh, because it uh, means that they've invested time and money um, elsewhere. Um, and uh, yeah, have a look around. Um, I think it's safe to say that after logging on to a BSD uh, system, uh, you'll be rather hard pressed to very quickly determine that it's not Linux. I think you're uh, you're, you're right that the text-based installer doesn't matter. I think for most use cases, nobody ever sees an installer. If if you go to DigitalOcean, well, you never see it. it just gives you an IP address, um, and you SSH into it, and it works. Um, I also don't really care about Linux on the desktop. I know there's been like a decade of effort of making it happen, um, but. And I know it works for some people, but I just don't really care about Linux on the desktop. I think it is an excellent server uh, operating system. Um, and I only look at it as a server operating system. So um, I think you're right. I'll, I'll give FreeBSD a shot. Um, I mostly run web servers with PHP. So that's got to be one of the most popular use cases for any operating system um, running PHP somewhere. So I'll, I'll bet I will be able to find a guide to uh, take me by the hand and install um, through ports or through package, all the packages that I need to get some Apache and PHP going. Um, this will be a fun experiment. I'll, I'll give that a shot. And if I'm ever stuck, I will poke you for advice. Absolutely. Please, please do. I mean, uh, uh, there are very, very many people who are much, much more knowledgeable than I am. But if I can, uh, if I can help you uh, experience one of the BSDs, then I would very gladly do so. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's a nice experience it, for some. It um, some people might think, oh, this is 
um, this is a bit strange. It all feels a bit old and maybe even specific packages only exist in a specific, slightly older version. Yeah, okay, fine. Then that's the way it is. Uh, but of course, as uh, you and I can very easily do, we can, of course, grab the newest version or we can build from a port, whatever. Um, this, uh, these systems are, they're, yeah, they're solid. And even if the versions, if the individual software versions might be a bit older here and there, um, I can, I have decided that I can live with that. And uh, not only that I can, but also that I would like to live with it. Well, I come from CentOS slash Red Hat, uh, Red Hat Enterprise Linux, sorry. So I'm used to having very old <laughs> and stable software. Uh, it is never cutting edge or never up to date. It's just secure. Yes. Uh, so maybe I won't notice a difference with BSD. <laughs> yeah, quite true. I hadn't thought of that. Uh, JP, thank you very much for the chat. I think I've learned a lot about BSD. Um, maybe you've converted me halfway and I'll see if I can get there for the other half. Um, so thank you for the chat. I, it has been a real pleasure for me. Um, if the listeners would like to keep in touch with um, your online movements or your professional movements, how can they follow you on Twitter, a blog, LinkedIn? Um, how can they reach you? Uh, well, not LinkedIn. Um, I mean, I am there, but uh, I don't. Uh, that's not a platform for me. Um, if uh, you want to read about what I do, the best way is probably my blog. That's jpmens, men's as in ladies, dot net. And if you do not uh, shock easily, then uh, my Twitter account, that's at jpmens, same, same name, um, is probably the way to, uh, uh, to follow along with my rants and with my uh, love and hate for all sorts of uh, different topics. Well, I've been following you there for at least a couple of years and I've I haven't unfollowed you, so I guess that's a good sign. Uh, must be very interesting nonetheless. You, you press, I'm, I'm sure you press mute. So that's why you don't see it. Ah, <laughs> uh, That might be it. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, add the links to your Twitter and homepage um, to the show notes as well. So if anyone is looking for the direct links, um, go into your podcast player and uh, see if you can find the notes. Click through. Definitely follow JP. Um, I actually liked following you because of all the DNS news that you share. Uh, the, it's. I don't know how you find the time to read all of the Power DNS release notes and everything, and just pick out the the, the useful tidbits and throw those out. Because uh, keep keep doing that because I love it. Um, it does make sure that I don't have to read through every every release note. Um, yes, well, I, I do a lot with I do a lot with open source DNS servers, so I try and pick out the highlights and I try and uh, uh, that and that's what I try and then uh, uh, talk about at least uh, at least mention. Yeah. Nope, for obvious reasons, I also like DNS. Um, so it's it's nice to, uh, to see you uh, care about that as well and uh, see you share those updates. Um, okay, JP, I think this is a good time to wrap off. Um, we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Matthias. Thank you very much.